Welcome to the Canny Conversations podcast, Conversations with a Cause with social entrepreneur Safraz Ali. He coined a phrase that describes what he does as the mad entrepreneur. That's make a difference entrepreneurship. As well as being the author of the Canny Bites books, Saf's business interests cover health and social care, business and corporate events, as well as him being the CEO of Pathway Group, a welfare to work and skills provider. In each episode, we have a special guest joining Saf in discussion with journalist and broadcaster Adrian Kibler. This week, Saf is once again talking to the CEO of Solihull Moors Football Club, Anne-Marie Eden. This time, they talk about diversity and community engagement, both in football and the business world. So let's join their conversation. It's that time again when we talk cannily, but with a purpose. In other words, it's a canny conversation with a cause. And uh, with me, of course, today is Safra Zali, as always. Safra, you uh, you ready to go for the next half an hour and, and looking forward to what we're going to do? Thank you, as always. The weather is pretty good today. I'm feeling okay. And there's a great reason to look forward to it today because uh, Anne-Marie Eden, who was yes. with us earlier in the series, is is back with us. Anne-Marie, how are you? I'm good, thank you. And yes, um, the weather is really lovely today. So. Well, the, the thing with the podcast is is that it can be picked up at any time <laughs> or place. And we've got listeners across Europe, we've got listeners in, in Asia and in America, so we just have to bear in mind that there'll be people who perhaps might be listening to this in the deep midwinter when it's dark and cold, so they'll, they'll thank you, anne They'll be a little bit jealous now, won't they? <laughs> they'll oh, thank you, sorry. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, what we're going to talk about today is diversity and community engagement. Diversity and community engagement in many forms and in many manifestations. Um, Seth, what does community mean to you? Many things, really. I'll start off with the fact that 20 years ago, I was part of an online community called Academy, and I felt I was part of that community. It was an online networking event. And that community is where I started my sort of networking journey. So I'm, I'm part of that community. I'm part of, a, I used to be part of a darts community. Uh, I'm part of the Musk community. I'm part of different communities, depending on what my interests are, where I feel connected. Um, my local neighborhood, I'm part of that community. I'm part of certain networking groups relating to my work. So the skills sector, uh, I'm in that community. I'm a member of the home care sector as well. So all of these are different communities that I'm part of. I'm part of a, uh, many, many communities and, and it's all interlinked and they're all part of who I am and I feel connected to each one in a different way. So communities are, are multifaceted. You know, they can be about, you know, your, your professional relationships. They can be about the geographical area where they live. Yeah. They can be about your ethnicity. Um Anne-Marie, what does community mean to you? I agree with what you've just said. If you would ask me first, mm. I would have thought that you meant about community within the football club, so mm. the, the people who live in the area and our fans and supporters mm. and that side of the community and who we work with in the Sully Hull area. But actually, that makes more mm. sense. I play within um, the People's Orchestra in Birmingham. Mm. So there are 70, 80 of us that play. That's a community in itself. Um, so you, you're right, actually. It's like when we go abroad, you feel connected to, say, another British person. 
uh, or yeah. and particularly when you know when you find out they're from the Midlands. So here, you know, you, we may think of somebody from the East Midlands is different to us, but when you're outside, you know, you you sort of connect with each other because you're part of. Midlands as a as a as a region because you're British or whatever it is, and you look at things that are in common and you can you can connect. So it depends on where you are and what your outlook is. It's it's a form of connection. That's what it is. It's a form do, of do, do, you know, do you connecting. think that people within a community have to have something in common? I mean, do you, you know if you're a part of a community, if it's a professional community in a sector or an ethnic community to be all of the same ethnic background. It's what or, connects you. Or not necessarily. What brings you together? What connects you? The what's purpose. The common, what's the common... What's the purpose, yeah. really, of why yeah. you're in that community, yeah. I would say. What's the commonality, really, within that? Yeah. Uh, Marie, one of the things that... Well, you can tell us, uh, rather than I try and do it and probably get it wrong, but Solihull Moors was the coming together, wasn't it, of, of two football clubs? It was. I can tell you the brief bits. I don't know too much of the going back... Um, too far but there was Sullyhull Borough and Moor Green and they they were in competition really but um, they came together in 2007 um, and formed Sullyhull Moors and then the rest is history really and we've just carried that on and um, it's got bigger and yeah you can talk about the community so they both had their own community followers fans and they've come together really at Sully Hall Moors and, and become part of the Sully Hall Moors community. Plus, is that, is that difficult though, bringing together? Because football's quite tribal, isn't it, in some ways? Yes, it is. But then I suppose if they all come together and then it's forming one, you, you, you can't be rivals then because you are actually part of the same club and then suddenly other people become your rivals. Um, so on a bigger scale, you, you do have to pull together. It's, it, it's just how it was. Saf, let's talk now about sport and identities and communities. And, you know, someone from a, a South Asian heritage. One of the things with football is I think football is seen as being pretty multicultural, multi-ethnic. But traditionally, you know, it's games, particularly, I think in particular of games like tennis and, and golf, two examples, are seen as perhaps something which is very much, you know, for white middle-class people and, uh, and, all, and all the rest of it. So as somebody from your particular ethnic community, do you feel that there are certain sports that perhaps you're slightly excluded from or you wouldn't feel welcome? Because I think you once said to me that, you know, golf is a problem for people from your background. Just talk to I me think about a lot that. Of it, a lot of it is also a class thing, a social mobility, social classes, and and, uh, and there's going to be certain sports which are harder to get into because of uh, financial constraints. Yeah, so there's going to be some which are more accessible. Football is a very accessible sport. It doesn't really cost much to go to the park and start playing. Where you know something like golf is, there's a certain cost to it. You know, it's, you know somebody who is from an inner city area is going to find it a bit more difficult to start learning golf from a young age or tennis or certain certain sports, gymnastics, or because of the equipment, because of the cost structure. Mm. So there's an element of uh, a ceiling there, a limit in terms of, you know, how you get into these sports. So, you know, football is, is one where 
uh, it is very accessible. It is one that you know it is mainstream in that respect. And you know you've seen football across you know third world countries playing football uh, on on the streets. Uh, in in sort of shanty towns and so forth, it's just one of these things that it's there. You're not going to see those individuals playing golf, as an example, or other sports because of that accessibility. But that's your starting point, you know. Uh, and then it's, then it really depends on your family and 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 their circumstances and you know and how and what what do they do. So if you're in a in a family which you know working parents and they're part of a golf club, then your chances of you being part of uh, or you know enjoying golf is going to be, I think, uh, quite high. Yeah, I mean, one of the things, um, Saf, just to finish off on that one, is um, I remember a number of years ago I was with a, a group and there was a lady there, it was an Afro-Caribbean lady uh, from the West Indies, and, and her son, she was an accountant, and her son went to one of the big schools in Birmingham, sort of selective school, perhaps I won't name them, but they're one of the schools that perhaps would be top of people's list out of choice. So when the, when her son was at the school, the, mm. the, they were sorting people out into various groups. And, you know, one of the teachers who would probably cringe to think that she was being in any way discriminatory, but she was sort of conditioned to say to this lad, you know, you're an Afro-Caribbean, so you must be good at sport. Do you think that labelling is a, is a problem? I mean, that's a bias, isn't it? You know that you know we we tend to stereotype. We've had that uh, all our lives, and it's something that you know we've got to be conscious of and be aware of. And sometimes, because of the people that are around us and our situation, that you know, even though we're not being you know nasty or bad, it's just it, it's, you know it, it is what we what our beliefs are, what our values are, or how our thinking is, and it takes time to sometimes unthink some of these things and unlearn some of these things and and raise our awareness. So you know it's it's not necessarily trying to hurt somebody. It's just that's just sometimes you know situation that it is. Uh, and Marie, looking at um, the Moors, um, Solly Holly's a generally, I think, regard as a, a fairly affluent, well-to-do area. I mean, how, how hard do you work to try and make it inclusive for people from all sorts of backgrounds? Extremely. We are all about inclusion. And um, Solihull Moors is actually in a, a location where you say Solihull is affluent. There are two sides to Solihull, mm. actually. There's the north of the borough and there's the south side. And it's we're inclusive in all of it, really, but it's it's vitally important um, in everything we do. Becky Fox is the CEO of Sully Hull Moore's Foundation, so the charity side, and she commits all her time and her staff's time to being in the community. She's very much involved in all of the in various groups, um, and yeah, inclusion is is sort of top of the the list in everything that we do as a club. Looking at, you know, Solihull as a business, I mean, the core business presumably is the football and, and success on the on the football field. So why bother with the community? Oh, <laughs> see, that, that my immediate reaction was, oh, um, we are a football club. We're in the National League. Um, when I joined, Daryl's main aim, and this, and this is probably when he was trying to explain about Solihull Moors and what the purpose was, is... We want to be the best community football club. We, we're even using the word community football club. It's, it's vitally important what we do. We're a hub. 
really. We're the only National League club in the whole of the West Midlands and involving the community and everything we're doing is the purpose, really. The players get involved. Um, Yes, the football and winning and playing is part of it, but we can't do that without the people around us. Um, I think, you know, for Man United, for example, there'll be people in Man- in Manchester that support them. There are people on the other side of the world that support them. Um, they are part of the football community, but they're not there on the doorstep. Solihull Moors fans in general are going to be around the area and we're right bang in the middle of their community. So, yes, it just seems right. I mean, that's where football started from, isn't it? From the local community yeah. and... That's the foundations of, of the original football clubs and they were all about the local area and the local community supporting the football club and uh, and it's, it's the, the thing that brings everybody together. I mean, diversity and inclusion, obviously highly desirable, but sometimes, you know, you have to try and give things a bit of a push, don't you, to try and, if you like, even things up. Probably not a good phrase, but the best I can, I can do. Saf... You were faced with a problem, weren't you? Well, not you personally, but the UK PLC was faced with a problem where relatively low proportion of people from the Asian community were choosing to look at apprenticeships as a, as a career route. So just talk me through that and, and, and tell Anne-Marie what the challenge was and how you've gone about trying to deal with it. Uh, what we're talking about really is positive action taking positive action and having sort of set targets and have a framework of this is where we need to get to. It's like when Tony Blair made a made an announcement, the fact that he wants 50% of young people going in and, and obtaining a, a university degree, that was him saying, this is the path that we're going to go down. So you've got to have a vision, you've got to have a, a, a sort of a target and you've got to sort of set the sail in terms of this is where we're going. And that's what really generally leadership is. It's about this is the direction of travel. Uh, so there's the direction of travel in terms of the uh, apprenticeships, uh, so of the field that we're in. So Sajid Javed, uh, who was the business secretary at the time, stated the fact that we need to grow our numbers with regard to BAME representation. This is a word that was used at the at that time, B-A-M-E, Black Asian Minority Ethnic, in terms of representation in apprenticeships. So what they found was that there was many people from the BAME background going into university. And at the same time, many of them also not in education, employment and travel. So you had either they're going into university and really becoming sort of, you know, the whole uh, following the professional paths and, you know, going into these traditional fields, you know, accountancy, legal and so forth. Or they're sort of missing out and and not going into education, but at the same time not really progressing into work. So finding jobs that are manual jobs and uh, so overrepresentation in terms of manual work or you know work in hospitality and lower paid type of roles, uh, unfortunately. Or at the same time in terms of these legal professionals, and there was another route which is really apprenticeships and progressing in the workplace. And, and looking at that workplace route. So there's a target that was given based on the Office, Office of National Statistics who did the survey to say, this is the issue. So there was a target. The government set a target of 3 million apprenticeships. They set also a target that we want to have a growth of 20% uh, year on year in terms of the numbers. And we as a training provider looked at this 
and said, okay, this is interesting. We also realized that there was a, another report that was going to come out, which was a Dame a Ruby McGregor Smith review, which, was, which also said that businesses are losing out by not having the right representation. And that wasn't just about BAME, it was also about female representation at board level and various other things as well. And you're missing out as a UK PLC, as an economy, so you need to get the right representation and get the people on board. So we ourselves started off with this Asian Apprenticeship Awards, which was really predominantly to go out there and seek role models. And the best way to sell an apprenticeship is by apprentices themselves. Yes, the government does advertisements and so forth, but you've got to see people who you can relate to who are progressing in that field. So our role was, or our, we felt our role was, and you know, there's nobody who asked us to do this. We just picked it up ourselves and saw it as an opportunity, but also as a cause that we believe in to say, this is something that we want to pursue. So we set up the Asian Apprenticeship Awards, who later on changed its name to BAME Apprenticeship Awards, set up the BAME Apprenticeship Network, Apprentice Network, and we've really led on the whole BAME diversity agenda, particularly in terms of the apprenticeship and then now skills as a whole. When you're looking at diversity and inclusion, and marie how do you sort of audit how well you are doing? And I mean, are, are there things that the Moors do that might be considered, I guess, to be positive action to try to perhaps encourage people to get involved that might not normally? You mean in our staffing? In your drive to be diverse and inclusive in a community organisation. I mean, do you do you sort of audit it in terms of, you know, how many girls have we got playing, how many people have you know, from various backgrounds or... They, they probably do. Um, but when a, we have got... so I mean, we've got a women's team, so mm. we recruit women mm. for the women's team and we've got the, the first team, which is the men's team. And so that that's just has to go with it. But that mm. our um, youth and junior teams, we're getting more and more girls wanting to play football. And if one team's full, we start another one or another one forms because there's no way we want to turn anybody away that wants to, to play football. So everybody is welcome. There will always be a team for anybody who wants to play. On Friday afternoons, we've got two um, Down syndrome teams that, that we have with us. There are all sorts of different teams and different groups. There's nobody we would say, oh, sorry, no, <laughs> you're not welcome. You can't play here. There will be something for everybody and it's just actively encouraged. But the essence with football, I guess, as with any sport, is it's competitive and, you know, there are people that are better at it than, than others. So, you know, when you're picking a football team, you pick the best football team, don't you? You don't pick the football team on the basis of, you know, well... He's not such a good player, but we, we need to be inclusive, so we'll put that player in the team. No. Um, let's talk a little bit about women's in football because you've, I suppose, you're not quite a pioneer, are you? Because there have been uh, ladies in senior football roles in the past, and I guess you're following on. Talking about ladies' football, it's much more popular these days. I mean, do you ever see a situation where you might have football teams made up of, of men and women or do you just think that's not practical because without being any, any way sexist, you know, the evolution has given us, you know, that men are generally bigger than women, they've got bigger muscles, they've got more <laughs> endurance and all the rest of it. So do you think that sort of multi-gender football 
he's probably not a starter. No, I, I would probably say no. I think it's moved away from that. If you, if you, an accountancy firm, and you, you're doing a, a business football five aside, and you're getting banks involved and stuff, and you have mixed teams then, and that's that's quite acceptable. But for in the professional side, um, it's not just the the build; they play differently. Um, the, the skills are, are very different when you, um, and and I think it works well when it's one gender and, and another gender. Yeah. It's the same with age. If you had mixed ages, that's also, it, it doesn't work. It's the same with boxing. You know, you can have heavyweights and you have lightweights and so forth. It's, uh, you wouldn't mix yeah, them, you wouldn't would mix, you? You wouldn't no. mix this, is, uh, this no. together. So uh, there, there is a reason to it and mm. uh, it does work and uh, and it works really well. Yes. So. Do, do you think, Seth, that, that sometimes we perhaps take this a little bit too far. I mean, I know that in the past you've talked about the difference between targets and quotas. Just explain a bit what, what you mean by that. I think targets is aspirational. And sometimes the, it's, it gets a bit murky when you're going in and saying we want X representation. I, for example, uh, I'll talk to you a little bit about uh, the, the Labour Party and I'm not, uh, uh, I'm not going political here, but I'm just talking from a personal perspective and from experience. So the Labour Party decides that in a particular ward, we want all women shortlist. Uh, so in terms of representation for that community, say, for example, the Alamrock area, there's two seats there. They want one male candidate and one female candidate. That's now a quota. That's not an aspirational target. That's become a quota because it's an all-woman shortlist. If they generalised it to say, you know, currently we have 20% which are female councillors, we want to go to 30%, 40%, and we want to do positive action in terms of going out and talking to communities or talking to individuals, engaging with women to try and see why they're not more engaged, then that becomes then an aspirational target. Aspirational targets is what I encourage and what we should, or should have. When it gets to a quota, then potentially, in this example, maybe the community are missing out because that might not be the best representation for them. Because what you've done is you've said, we, we want... One person who's male, one person who's female, doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be the best no, for you. I agree. Yeah, so it's really, then you've lost the purpose of what that is. It is about representation, definitely, but it's also about the best talent that's going to do the job. I don't know if uh, in my recruitment background, it's quite telling over the years of, of what people want, probably from sort of the early 90s I worked in the insurance mm. sector so brokers possibly saying to me oh I need a commercial account handler but um, can you only send me CVs of blokes and you know they, they could say that because that's yeah. what they wanted and we'd be like oh well we'll send you the best people for the job but you know you can't influence then who they recruit um, I went to a diversity seminar and there was a panel of people and there were people there was a disabled person this was all in insurance at Lloyd's of London mm. um, there was a transgender somebody really senior within one of the top banks um, there, there was a whole spectrum really and the conversation in the room was about, well, how do we get when a 35-year-old white male resigns from working in the insurance industry in Lloyds of London, how do we make this diverse and it's not just replaced like for like? And there were a lot of opinions, but I kept my mouth shut because recruitment, I could be advertising for that role and we only get 35-year-old white males applying for the job. They might want a female, but if they're not 
applying, they don't necessarily want to go into the roles. You can't suddenly make yeah. your team diverse if they're the only people applying for the job. So there's two, there's lots of yeah. sides to yeah, this. Yeah. I mean, sometimes, Anne-Marie, we, what you have is, yeah, it's sometimes the way the jobs advertise, are advertised, yeah. the, the language that's used. You know, if that individual came to you and said, I want somebody who is um, motivated uh, or certain certain words which are very much about hungry and driven and, you know, all this sort of stuff, that sometimes appeals more to your male candidates. Yes. And and sometimes, you know, we've all sort of been more aware, more aware of the fact that these the way the adverts are written, the language in terms of the characteristics that you're looking for, may put us somebody off where females are predominantly looking for the roles and responsibilities of what's required yeah. as opposed to the characteristics yeah. makeup of that person. Yeah. And whenever you start talking about the makeup of an individual, these words which are driven, enthusiastic, yeah. all of these sort of words appeal to a certain person and that generally tends to be the male mm. male characteristics. But it's also really going out and, and getting the message across to that to the people that you're trying to identify. But you have to have that balance in terms of the best person for that role is ultimately what we can't lose sight of. No, I think they, my opinion at the time was it's too late when you're recruiting for yeah. like for like you've got a month to find yeah. somebody. The whole purpose, I think they need to start lower down within schools to educate the different genders of the different roles out there of what they can and can't do from an earlier age so they believe they can actually go into every job in any industry um, or more so anyway and people generally self-sabotage so for example mm. if you saw this advert uh, for your role uh, say as the, the leader yeah. of this football club you may not have gone for it uh, you've gone for it because somebody said you know what you have the skills yes this is what yeah, it is. absolutely but you, if the advert was there it's probably you would have just gone past it. It wouldn't, you said, no, it's not for me. Yeah. It's not for me. And we self-sabotage. And sometimes we're not seeing the opportunities. So it needs people who empower other people. You've mentioned Daniel and, you know, mm. if you see that, you know, you say, you know what, you go and, and empower people and say, you know, this is something you can do, something that you should seriously take on. Yeah. And we, you know, as a, generally as people, tend to say, think, you know, we need that encouragement. We all need it. And there's many occasions where even from a tender perspective or a contract, we thought, nah, it's not for us. That's for somebody else. Yeah. Some, you know, big boys or somebody else is going to be doing this. We just don't go for it. And sometimes you've just got to go for it. And you yeah, need people yeah. around you who encourage you, who push you, who see you, because in a different light to maybe what we see ourselves. Touching on that, this is just the male-female yeah. um, point of view. If there's a job description and these are facts, I might get them slightly wrong. Yeah. If a male reads the job description yeah. and there's 10 points yeah. and he thinks, oh, I can do about five or six of them. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to apply. Yeah. A female will read the 10 points and yeah. go, oh, I can only do nine. Yeah. Probably not for me. <laughs> I probably won't get it. Yeah. It happens. Uh, it does happen, happen all, all the time. time. All the time it happens. <laughs> all that happens. And, and it's just the characteristic makeup yeah, of people. and. And, and you find that, you know, men sometimes just go just for it. Just go for it. <laughs> and they do, yeah. And, and the ladies are sort of almost analytical and yep. thinking and uh, go through it. And, and they read the job description where some, oh, it's top line. Okay, I'll go for that. Yeah. Uh, and I'll just see, I'll, I'll wing it as it, as it goes. <laughs> and, and sometimes it's the people who who do that get through. Yes, but they've got the confidence yeah. and then actually yeah. once they get in the job, they'll do the five things and then they'll pick they'll, up they'll, the other they'll, few. They'll learn, the, they'll learn as it they goes. Will. Yeah, they, they will. Yeah. You're a bit of a mind reader, Anne-Marie, because I was going to bring up the very point that you've just raised about men being more 
prepared to apply for a job but they don't think applies to them. We are running out of time, but I just want to finish by just emphasising one point, which I think both of you make very well, not just because you talk about it, because you demonstrate it. There's a saying, isn't there, that better show people rather than tell them. And, and, and I think, Saf, you know, one of the things with the Apprenticeship Awards, it's one thing to say people from a band community can have successful apprenticeship careers. It's another thing to show them. And I think that showcasing, which is the, what the award's about, is yeah. terribly important. And I think from your point of view, Anne-Marie, you've shown that a woman can get into a senior position in football. And I just want to ask you one final question, Anne-Marie, and one final question for you, Saf. We'll start with Anne-Marie because it's ladies first. What would your mum and dad have said when you were eight years old and you said, I want to be a chief executive of a football club? Do you know, maybe at eight, they might have said, you're probably going to do it. (laughs) Because by then I did actually want to do a whole lot of things, really. And I didn't like losing at games. Um, I wanted to play the flute. I wanted to piano lessons. I just wanted to do everything. And my daughter's a bit the same as me. So they might be a bit, they might have been a bit shocked, but actually if they thought about it and saw the traits that I was getting then, yes, they they probably would be. I think yeah. I think at that age as well, you feel that you can achieve everything, yes. and then what happens is that society <laughs> knocks you down, and and then you start thinking, okay, you know, you start lowering your sights to a certain level, and then uh, yeah, then it's just about being open to whatever opportunities and just yeah. seeing where life takes you. Really, yes. Yeah. <laughs> what would your parents have said to you at eight if you had told them? that you wanted to go into corporate life and then you would give it up to be, a, be an entrepreneur. They would have said, is that it? You know, is that, is that, all, is <laughs> is that, that all? Is that, is that all? <laughs> is that all? Well, you know, you know uh, don't you want to be the president of the world or something? You know what I'm say? Is, that, is, is that it? So it's like, whatever you want to do, is that all you achieve? Is that all your aspirations are? You know, is that what we've, we've raised you? Just to, you know, it's, it's very, it's a, it's a, it's a, it depends on the outcome. I think the message yeah. from that is, yeah. is just how important parents and influencers are on, yeah. on young people. Our aspiration is to stop time. <laughs> but uh, it's an aspiration that uh, that we're not going to achieve, which means that it's time to curtail our canny conversation. Uh, any comments to Anne-Marie before we finish, sir? Well, Anne-Marie, firstly, thank you so much. You're a very uh, inspirational person. Uh, you're, I think the only, if you're, in terms of football, the only person I can think about is Colonel Brady himself now. <laughs> and you've probably heard that so many times. But, I know. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Quite, it's quite funny, actually. She used to live around the corner. Oh, she? Yes. Yeah. So, uh, so there, there you yeah. go. So thank, thank you so you. much for the opportunity. No, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. It has absolutely been a pleasure, Anne-Marie. And... Um, We do hope that you've enjoyed what you've uh, been listening to. And if you have, we hope that you'll subscribe. We hope that you'll like and share with with others. But until the next time, take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this Canny Conversation with the Cause. These conversations are based upon the Canny Bites books by Safras Ali, available on Amazon. To find out more, go online and visit Saf's website, pathwaygroup.co.uk or join him on social media. He can be contacted at safras at pathwaygroup.co.uk. Canny Conversations with the Cause are produced by Pathway Group, who have a mission to change lives through skills and work. And they do this through upskilling and reskilling individuals 
by getting them firstly into sustainable employment and tackling the talent and skills issues commonly faced by businesses. In addition to their core skills and employability business, Pathway Group also actively promote diversity, equality and inclusion and have initiated causes such as the BAME Apprentice Network, the BAME Apprenticeship Awards and the Festival of Apprenticeships. This is a 1386 audio production.